2: Are you ready to be inspired, uplifted, and motivated to greatness? It's time for Star Style, Be the Star You Are, with your effervescent personal growth coaches, the Oprah of the airwaves, Cynthia Bryan, and health specialist, Heather Brittany. Define your vision, discover your passion, and design your future in this power-packed hour of life-changing talk radio, featuring authors and success experts. Dedicated to helping you achieve the results you deserve. Be entertained, edutained, encouraged, and empowered. Smile, have fun, and celebrate you. Explore your potential and embrace your possibilities with your hosts, Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany on Star Style. Be the star you are, starting right now. Never.
1: It is that time of the week again when the finest hour of power, Star Style, Be the Star You Are, comes to you. So we thank you for being here with us. My name is Cynthia Bryan. And I'm Heather Brittany. And the show is Star Style, Be the Star You Are, and we are your personal growth success coaches, and we are with you every week to get your energy boosted, to help you learn, to love, to laugh to listen and most of all we want you to live your dreams and we want you to read some really good books because we are a show about following your heart it's her own version of champagne for the spirit which both heather and i enjoy imbibing in (laughs) (laughs) and we've had a little bit of champagne this week okay so the miracle moment for today is brought to you by the express yourself teen radio program make sure to listen Every Tuesday at noon Pacific time on the Voice America Kids Network, you can go to expressyourselfteenradio.com to get more info, links, photos, descriptions. And this miracle moment is from a U.S. president, Woodrow Wilson. And I love it. You are not merely to make a living. You are here in order to enable the world to live more amply with greater vision With a finer spirit of hope and achievement, you are here to enrich the world, and you are impoverished if you forget that errand. Isn't that a great one? I like that. Powerful, powerful. That's very powerful. I think I have to use that on a Star Searchers Express newsletter because basically I think throughout time the great leaders have been talking about the importance of making a difference and inspiring hope and, and giving, giving back. And that's what this show is all about. Well, in the show today, we are going to be talking to Hayim Orr. He's a behavior specialist and he's an autism consultant. He's going to be showing us how to improve our children's behavior and build their skills. And we know that uh, the autism spectrum is a very, very big topic today. So it's really terrific that he will be our special guest. We're also going to be announcing our 8th Annual National Essay Winners in the Be the Star You Are competition and you're going to hear the first place entries. I know everyone's been waiting for that and then coming right up right now in our health episode in in Health Matters, our health specialist, our resident specialist, Heather Brittany, is going to talk to us about infertility. So we want you to sit back, turn up the volume, grab your glass of tea or wine or champagne, whatever <laughs> you're going to do, and uh, you probably want to take some notes because today really and truly is a powerful, informed program. So despite widespread sex education and increased public awareness on the causes of infertility, many people still don't understand what is at the basis of the issue. Now, there was a... Recent study in New Zealand that found that over 74% of women who came to fertility clinics were unprepared and unaware of all their options. So, Heather, you as a reproductive reproductive specialist, I know that you're on top of all this current research. What news do you have for our audience today?
3: Well, exactly. Well, I work I've worked uh, for the past three years more in the form of contraceptive of of preventing pregnancy but that time does come and I spoke with patients whether um, they're not intending pregnancy or they are seeking pregnancy and they're bewildered of the fact that they're not doing anything to prevent a pregnancy and they're not getting pregnant. What's going on? Just because you are participating in unprotected intercourse doesn't exactly mean that a pregnancy will come from it. However, all of you out there listening, if you're not intending a pregnancy, please take the methods and steps to not be preventing it. <laughs> exactly, uh, because
1: just, you know, just crossing your legs and fingers does not keep you safe.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, exactly. And I, I had the the, the honor uh, last week of speaking on the teen radio show all about prevention. But, um, you know, the, the big thing when it comes down to is, um, a woman, just as we spoke with, of, of women and, and sperm, you know, women, birth eggs and sperm. And we spoke on, on different uh, segments before about the, you know, the, the medical, biological, logistics about everything. Um, but a woman is born with exactly how many eggs are in their their system, and, and whether they get fertilized or not, that's however many they have. And, um, I, you know, so many people, when they go, to, when they, they're thinking they are infertile. It's really that they're not being sexually active during particular times or, you know, male and female things. And the big thing, I know there was a previous um, health segment or T for two we discussed about how women have um, been just delaying pregnancy. Is today's society, uh, women are no longer, you know, just. And not not nothing again. No one is ever just a housewife you're, or a mother. You are amazing things. But but women really have stepped outside of the house, and they themselves have taken on a full new professional role. And many times, just as marriage has gotten delayed, as pregnancy has. And um, you know something that was so interesting was, um, excuse me, back in uh, the 1970s. I think it was one in 100 women, um, you know, were having trouble, had delayed pregnancy till age 35. Now, to cut to the most recent study was 2006. One in 12 women has put off pregnancy until. Um, age 35 and beyond
1: but as yes. we talked about in a previous segment the optimum ages are like 27 to 35 uh, to get pregnant and then after that time fertility decreases and you are dealing with a lot of other issues which could even be developmental issues or physical issues for the
3: child exactly so, exactly and yeah. you know and there's so much more to We book is there's the the sociological, the economical is that today's society, especially everything that's happening with, you know, unemployment as an is at an all-time high. Uh, you know, so many houses, the foreclosure, it's really that thing as the American dream beyond the white picket fence is to give your children more than you ever had. So if your parents ever struggled, they worked so hard to give you a better life. And then that sort of always pressed on. And I think, you know, with many Americans, that's their goal. And especially with women, um, that, you know, we've really stepped outside the home and into the workforce. And, and many couples, women are more of the breadwinner. Are, they are the point. So it can be a big thing if, if no longer the woman is going to work in order for her childbearing ages. And so, so many women, we, we touched on this show before, uh, that so many women have delayed uh, pregnancy to a later age, and there is, um, you know, there is the ramifications of it, and so a lot of times is that women are seeking infertility treatment, and really is just as you you touched on in your opening statement, is that they may not be infertile; it's that they're just not educated on this situation. Um, yeah, you know, so many just as I said is I have so many patients whether. They're not seeking pregnancy, and they cannot get over the fact that they have unprotected intercourse every day, all the time, and it's not happening. There's just these few limits in time and times in your psych as a woman that you're able, that you're that you're truly fertile. Um, and they're really, you know, there is no rush. Just and and actually, something that's so interesting is many couples think there could be a some kind of issue, and they're they're participating in intercourse non-stop and actually semen um it's a it's a funny phrase in a medical thing but they say it becomes um uh a sort of sort of dumb semen that it's almost um it's not nothing anything good is that they're just they're so sexually active that the semen they're producing is inadequate and um, so
1: talk a little bit about other fertility you know we know about the contraception because we've done those kinds of shows but what other options are there for fertility i mean we you know there's sperm donors what are the things that are are the most prevalent these days
3: yeah so a big thing and there are really you know it, and that's the thing we, we touch on is that um there they're can be beyond just age or frequency or the time of the month that you're having intercourse, um, there are actual real things. It can, and, and many times is, I mean, you, you heard before, was it was it Henry the eighth the of, of who was it, is it? There are, there definitely can be female problems as well as, as male problems leading, leading to infertility. Um, and that's something really of speaking, once you've gone to all lengths, is in vitro, uh, fertilization, it's a very expensive procedure. If you're in the well to, you know, if you have the financials to do it, you know, please. But make that more of a last cost. And, and it actually has gotten sort of a, uh, negative connotation because you hear of a lot of times with in vitro, um, in vitro fertilization is they put X amount of eggs inside you, fertilize it, and, and whatever eggs keep. Usually that's when you hear of these women having six children or the infamous, the, the optimum situation of having eight children all at once. And I, I believe I, I saw in an interview one time, she said that there had actually been more eggs that had um, fertilized. That is, I mean, it's a fantastic thing. It's, it's an expensive uh, procedure, um, but that really should be a last. Uh, resort for people, and, and I think a lot of times people get misled of, in Hollywood they see so many actresses, they're having so many kids, they're having kids at late stage. Uh, many times it's not their own eggs, or if it is their own eggs, it's been eggs that have been, in, have been frozen many, many years before. If, if that's a thing as a working woman or, uh, or as a male, if, if you and your partner have decided that this particular time in your life is not the right time, um, of freezing your eggs because, you know, again, just as we spoke before, is it the eggs? The eggs became less fertile and less, um, unlikely that there's going to be an actual pregnancy from it. Um, if you do choose in vitro, um, excuse me, um, in vitro fertil- fertilization, uh, make sure you know again. It's the, the uh, just one um, one session is ten thousand dollars, and many women, their body isn't strong enough on its own, so it can take you know three to five uh, sessions before. So be financially prepared for that. So it sounds like
1: it's very expensive and the best thing is probably to try to stay healthy. And if you're deciding that you want to bear your own children to get pregnant between the ages of 27 and 35, and maybe after that time, consider adoption. We are out. We are at the end of our minutes again, Heather. This health segment, health matters always goes by so very quickly. So. Would you go ahead and give out the websites and just wrap it right up? Give us our final words. My biggest,
3: my biggest thing is with all things is stress as we know how it affects us in everything of under, it's those knots on our backs and those bags under our eyes. But stress is a leading cause of uh, infertility and miscarriages and things that affect our overall health. So make sure that uh, you de-stress your life. And also, if you want to de-stress your life with a great book or just archive any of our radio shows, go to beTheStarUR.org as well as beTheStarUR.com.
1: Yes, and it's true. In our archives, we have, uh, since we've been broadcasting since 1998, there's a plethora of information and edutainment available to you. So when we return, I'm going to be announcing the winners in the 8th Annual National Essay Competition sponsored by U.S. Bank and Be the Star You Are. You don't want to miss this. I'm Cynthia Bryan. And I'm Heather Brittany. And you're listening to Star Style, Be the Star You Are on the World Talk Radio Network. We're coming to you live. We'll be right back. Stay with us.
2: yeah. Mm-hmm.
4: Express yourself.
2: You're listening to the World Talk Radio Variety Channel.
4: Be the star you are. You are the star. Get ready to be inspired. Entertained and motivated to greatness with positive, uplifting, life-changing talk radio. Turn up the volume. Tune in to the Power Hour of Star Style. Be the star you are. Now, back to the program with the Oprah of the airwaves, Cynthia Bryan.
1: Well, we are excited to be here. I think my nickname's Sunshine because I always have so much fun doing this show and being with all these wonderful, positive people. And I love my engineer, Brad. He's so much fun, too. So thank you, Brad, for being the star you are. Well, Be the Star You Are's eighth annual national essay contest sponsored by U.S. Bank began about three months ago. And we have the winners today. This year, we had two topics from which to choose. One was the world at your fingertips. Technology allows people to access and do so much more than ever imagined. How has technology changed your life? Is it better or is it worse? And the second topic was called, hear me out. Got something to say? Then say it. What does it mean to express yourself so that others can hear you? And how do you personally go about doing it? Well, as always, it is challenging to choose a winner. And this year, the judges had lots and lots of trouble. And we have two people who tied for first place. We have one person in second, and we have two honorable mentions. So, okay, everybody, the drum roll! Bum, 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 bum. The honorable mentions went to Elizabeth Morose from Weststone, Arizona, and Miss Mary Sue Wickham from Council Bluffs, Iowa. Congratulations, ladies, on being may, uh, being named honorable mention in the eighth annual competition. In second place, we have Carl David from Philadelphia with his entry about teen suicide, and he entered the second option called Hear Me Out. Carl will be a guest on the teen radio show Express Yourself. He will get publication at btsya.com, which is the Express Yourself Creative Community, and he will also be receiving an autographed copy of Be The Star You Are for Teens. And the big kadoos, the big hurrahs, the big bravos, Go to our first two place winners who receive monetary prize, guest spot on the teen radio show Express Yourself, publication at both the Express Yourself community site, btsya.com and bethestarur.org. Books and both are here with us today. They're going to be reading their entry. So who are we talking about? Well, we have two very talented writers from two different coasts, right here from San Jose, California, we have Dana Allen. Hello, Dana. Congratulations. Hello, Cynthia. Thank you so much. Oh, I am so excited. And now, Dana, I want you to meet your co-winner, Pamela Lewis from New York. Hi, Pamela. Hello. How are you? Well, I bet you are excited. I mean, I have to say, Pamela is a second-time winner. So you okay. have won. I know. I mean it's like winning it's like winning the lotto twice that's pretty really great so congratulations welcome to both of you are you guys excited delighted thrilled shocked everything uh, yeah. all
5: all of that <laughs> i know no, I, I, I'm, I'm really shocked actually i was i wasn't too happy with my indian i was like ah, i'll just go for it to bet it who who knows <laughs>
1: Well, and you know what, Dana? That to me is the attitude. Is that I think too often when we enter something or apply for something, we overthink it, and and then we we think we're not good enough. And Pamela, I know that you are a teacher, a francophile like mine. You love le français. Would you not say that often students do that? You know, wouldn't that they they just think it too too much instead of just going forward
0: and being themselves. That, what do you think? That is absolutely right. And um, I'm always telling them to, to relax, to uh, let themselves go, to be natural, to be themselves, not to overthink. And in my school, that's sort of hard to do because we have very, very bright students, and they tend to uh, overreach yeah. instead of... Just staying right where they are, working from their abilities. They're so afraid not to get things right. They can be very perfectionist and uh, sometimes they, they miss the mark.
1: Yeah. And I think that's so true. And Dana, I know you are a martial artist besides, you know, all the other good things that you do. Yes. I'm going to just say a little bit about you that you live, of course, here in the Bay Area. You co-run the Good Earth Store, which is an online retail um store specializing in health and i want to thank the good earth store because they have been a big supporter be the star you are you have a bachelor's of arts in anthropology and being a martial artist do you find that you are a bit more creative because you have to kind of think outside the box uh
5: yeah i think it's really helped um i I think with the creativity um, just being open to a lot of things um, with the martial arts there's not one way to punch there's not one way to kick there's you know several ways and i think taking that and applying it to life has really helped in a lot of aspects
1: both of you obviously were creative because you both won so i'm going to start dana with you and let you read your winning uh, entry and then pamela will read hers dana's is called is technology a part of us and what's interesting both of them entered the world at your fingertips and I love the fact that you know we had two winners on two coasts and one is just a young uh, in her in her 20s just uh, basically just out of school and Pamela is actually teaching. So we have you know the teacher student I think it's a fabulous
5: combination. So Dana, would you go ahead and start? Of course all right. Um, My anthropology professors told me technology and language are what make us human. Yes, there are animals that use simple tools, but only humans have diverged from simple tools and created the incredible technologies we use today. When I think about how technology has changed my life, if it's made it better or worse, I can only think about how it's molded my life. Like every generation before me, as I grew up, so did the technologies around me, changing the way I experienced the world. I was a C-section baby. Had the surgical technology not been around, neither would my mother and I. From my first breath, my life was dependent on technology. As a child of the 80s in Silicon Valley, I was at the heart of the high-tech world. My generation always had color TV and VCRs, but I do remember going to friends' houses without personal computers. The only reason I grew up with one was because my mother had an accounting program for the family business on it. I never played many video, video games, but Mario did type, teach me how to type correctly at around 70 words per minute and 98% accuracy, a skill that became indispensable to me later on in life as my career became Internet-based. <laughs> Flash forward to eighth grade when the Internet was developing at lightning speed. Well, I still had dial-ups, so it took a bit longer. At a time when I needed to access information for school projects, information was becoming available in mass quantities on the web. Come college, I can count my lucky stars, I was able to access the library from home late at night with my term paper due the next morning. By then we'd switch to cable modem. How did I live with dial up? I loved taking my laptop on vacations as many hotels now offered internet access. I could look up restaurants and things to do on the internet, get directions and experience something I would never have found on my own. With the memory card on my digital or when the memory card on my digital camera was full, I could upload photos to my computer to make room for more photos. My laptop and the internet were also indispensable. It took me a while to get on the smartphone craze. I had a cell phone, but what more does the phone need to do than make and receive calls? Many people around the world don't even have a phone. Then, I caved. After college, I bought myself an iPhone. My world once again opened up. I no longer needed to take my laptop on vacations, as my iPhone did the same thing. It was much smaller to carry. I didn't even need a digital camera anymore. It took photos, and I could upload them to social networking websites so my friends could see them. My iPhone was indispensable, or so I thought before I got my Galaxy S2. What's next? When I hear about new technologies that invade our privacy or kill thousands, I wonder if too much technology can be a bad thing. Then I remember how much I enjoy watching documentaries of the Amazon on an HDTV. I can never say if my life would be better or worse without these technologies, as I know nothing else. I believe each new development comes with a double-edged sword, and it is up to us on how we use each of them, because whether we like it or not, technology is a part of us as humans. Yay! Bravo!
1: <laughs> I think no, that just, that is such a great essay, and Pamela, do you just see on that, it's just such a different point of view, just coming from, you know, I try to think about the days when we didn't have any of this, and you just summed it all up. Is te- technology is here to stay? That's the way it is, and we're going to have to have to move with it. So, a very good essay, and really talks about technology. Pamela, did you want to say anything about it?
0: Well, I uh, I can certainly identify with uh, a lot that the essay uh, mentioned. Uh, um, the uh, The point that it it opens up the world. You know, it's sort of like an onion. I always think of the uh, the technology, particularly the internet uh... like an onion you know you keep peeling layers upon layers and it 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 takes us deeper and deeper it's uh... it's always revealing something else there's always something else to discover something else to find you have all these different links so i i think that is one of the great things about uh... the technology and specifically about the internet is the the um the endless possibility uh... that it offers to all of us in terms of uh... giving us information and it's um, it's it's quite astounding. It's um, it's thrilling, but I I think too that uh, the essay also brought out the point that it is a double-edged sword, and um, uh, we we need to be aware of that. And I think that was what I was trying to bring out in on my particular essay. And that's what we're going to get to
1: now. But, Dana, I just wanted to mention by using the double-edged sword, I thought that was very profound there at the end because knowing that with that you are a martial artist and you have a proficiency in weaponry <laughs> and swords, it was very interesting, you know, to have your bio and know that you're a martial artist and that you use that as part of your essay because it really is a double-edged sword. And it's like, where is it going? So now, Pamela, well, you are a lifelong resident of Queens, New York, and you are devoted to, in quotes, real books <laughs> and, of course, the arts. And, and then when you're not writing, you love French, you're teaching French uh, to your students. But tell us before
0: you read your essay, what do you consider a real book? A real book to me is one that has taken uh, the writer some time to conceive and to uh, produce, to put together, to put their thoughts and their emotions uh, into um, some kind of uh, tangible form. And then it is uh, put into book form. Uh, it has pages. It has print. Uh, those prints that print might be in a particular font even the font conveys a particular emotional um uh, quality and then it has a cover on it uh so there are all these components that come together to produce what i consider to be a real book it's something that is uh concrete solid and uh, as i so um
1: to me this And you is, know this Pamela very, you know, i have to i have to agree with you because here on this show as you know uh, it's all about authors and writing, and it's a literacy show. And I read three or four books a week, and every author that's on, I read the book cover to cover. And I cannot get into the e I still have gotten, I mean, I know that's not very technologically advanced. And, Dana, you're probably reading, you know, on your Kindles
5: and phones. But I just don't <laughs> you know. No, actually, I, I don't. I, I have a hard time. I like touching the book also.
1: I do, too. I like the smell, yeah, I, the sound. The smell. I, I just, I like the real book. <laughs> Well anyway, now Pamela's essay was also in the same category called The World at Your Fingertips and she ta- she called hers Technode and I think that this is a a great a great uh, point that she is making as well. So take it away Pamela.
0: Okay, thank you. It was last academic year and the end of the first marking period was nearing. A colleague and I were reminiscing about back in the day, that being the mid-1980s to the early 1990s. The sum total of our teaching amounts to just over 50 years, so our memory lane had enough length for some serious strolling. The subject, appropriately enough, was grades. Not the grades our students would earn, but rather how we used to record them. Remember when we would all pile up in the library reading room to put in our grades, my fellow teacher said, her voice betraying a nostalgia for what she clearly believed had been a golden age. I then recalled teachers armed with grade books, calculators, and lethally sharp pencils packed into the reading room where, looking like sentinels, were eight small, dull green steel file cabinets placed on some of the wooden tables. Each had several drawers containing a yellow card listing the courses every one of our young charges were studying and for which they would receive a grade, a grade every single teacher would write into the appropriate course box by hand. Submitting grades by the deadline was stressful enough, but the reading room ritual, as I called it, amped up the craziness teachers reached over, around, and sometimes, it seemed, through each other to get to a grade card drawer. I need the D-tray, you got it? Who has Anna Bergman? Oh, excuse me, sorry, I stepped on your foot. So how's your husband doing? Organized mayhem, to be sure, but full of mirth. The teachers saw and talked with each other and joked their way through the tedious but necessary process. A few hours and several dulled or broken pencil points later, we got our grades in, on time. In 1997, the steel cabinets were replaced with desktop computers, and almost overnight, we had to come up with clever usernames and passwords so impenetrable that not even Houdini could have cracked them so we could access the ever-growing number of websites to carry out our work. The old yellow cards that bore the handwritten names of our students and the handwritten grades their teachers had awarded them got the heave-ho. We are now virtually, I don't use this word lightly, a mouse click away from complete digitization. Attendance, report cards, interdepartmental communication, and textbook tracking have all been scooped into the technological embrace. The new telephones we all received a few months ago are sleek and digitized but they hardly ever ring since we email each other rather than dial an extension. Not only almost paperless, we are also nearly speechless. Technology has also changed my personal life. Instead of writing letters, I can dash off an email to friends and overseas relatives. Whereas I used to search for information in my encyclopedia, I now Google what I need and find it in seconds. I own an e-reader and have downloaded several books ranging from novels to the Bible. I bank and shop online, and the photos I take with my digital camera make me look like a pro. While technology has made my life neither better nor worse, it has made it easier, which is a very different consideration. The former drudgery of many tasks has been eliminated, for which I am grateful. But despite the many breathtaking feats it performs, technology can never fully replace uniquely human connections, such as sending or receiving handwritten letters, holding and turning the pages of books, or having my foot stepped on while I enter a student's grade."
1: I love it, Bravo, Bravo. that was you no. Know, see there's such a great perspective because we tend not to remember or think about what the teachers or what people went through. And you took us through that. Dana, did you want to uh, have something to say about the essay?
5: Oh well it's just so funny because I was thinking, you know, just in my own life, I remember what I, I got handwritten grades. See 97 would have put me around like fifth grade. And I remember even that transition into junior high, all of a sudden, you know, we were getting printouts of our grades. And, you know, I didn't see the teachers with the grade books. Our attendance was, you know, slowly changing over kind of in my middle of junior high year to online. Well
1: it is interesting. Well, I want
5: to
1: <laughs> I want to congratulate you both again and thank you both for reading these inspiring essays about technology. It really made me think and it's about changing the world we live in and you will be receiving your gifts uh within the next couple weeks and then you're both be getting an invitation to be on the radio show Express Yourself so that you'll be talking with our teens as well. And uh did you either, if you want to give out a website, Dana, I know you have the Good Earth Store. Would you give that website out?
5: Yes, it's www.good, G-O-O-D, Earth, E-A-R-T-H, store, S-T-O-R-E,
1: uh, dot com. And uh, Pam, is there anything, that any website you wanted to promote?
0: not particularly i'm i'm just at my school and you know that's um, um, uh, the hunter college high school website so um, apart from that i don't have anything personal that oh, i right. use all right
1: well again
0: i congratulations to both of you
1: and i hope that you'll enter again the essay contest in coming years because you know what it's like uh, lightning strikes twice or three times we never know right no. there's always new judges who knows when you're good, you're good. The next, you. uh, the next Be The Star You Are essay contest will begin in October, so be watching our newsletters and our social networking releases. And when we return from break, we're going to be talking to autism consultant and behavior specialist, Haim Orr, about his book, Autism, Don't Try to Make Sense, Make a Difference. You have been listening to Cynthia Bryan on Star Style, Be the Star You Are, with our 8th Annual National Essay Winners, Pamela Lewis and Dana Allen. Thank you, ladies, for joining us here on Star Style and right on. Stay with us. We'll be back in a bit. The star you are.
4: What's going on behind the scenes with your favorite World Talk radio show or host? For the latest news, visit the iRadio blog at iradioblog.com.
1: Looking for unique one-of-a-kind gifts for the special woman in your life? The Carmony Collection creates handmade handbags, clutches, candles, and canvases from vintage and recycled fabrics, bangles, and beads. Be eco-friendly and fashionable with prices for all pocketbooks. Visit www.carmonycollection.com. That's Carmony with a K and Collection with a K. Or call 925-785-7827.
2: Cynthia Bryan is your guide on the side. www.cynthiabryan.com You can be the star you are. Turn up the volume, grab a seat, and get ready to be challenged, inspired, and motivated to greatness. It's power party time on Star Style, Be the Star You Are, with your hosts, the mother-daughter dynamic duo, Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany.
1: Well, every week, Be the Star You Are showcases incredible authors and experts to enhance and inspire your life. Be the Star You Are is a 501c3 charity dedicated to empowering women, families, and youth through increased literacy and positive message programming. Make a donation today. Keep this show alive and serving. Go to btsya.com or be the star dot org. And thanks for being the difference. Well, autism, it's a scary word and it's a developmental disorder that appears in the first three years of life and affects the brain's normal development of social and communication skills. Most people don't understand it. Haim Orr is a behavior consultant specializing in the complex developmental disabilities that cause problems with social interaction and communication, and most particularly, autism. He is the CEO and founder of Creative Family Coaching, Inc., which is an organization dedicated to educating families about the autism spectrum. His book is Autism, Don't Try to Make Sense, Make a difference. Welcome, Hayim, to Star Style. Be the star you are.
6: Thank you so much. And I'm so happy to be on your show, Cynthia.
1: Well, I am so happy to have you because we have not tackled the topic of autism in a long time. And making a difference is what you promote. It's what we promote. And I think that the, what you have to say to, to help parents learn how to... Positively deal with their children is really, really critical. So before we get to your book, Autism, would you tell us what is considered autism and why is it that we don't know so much about it or that, or perhaps more, there's more misinformation out there than is necessary?
6: Absolutely, Cynthia. I'm so happy you're asking me to do so. Um, autism is a developmental disorder. When we say developmental, we mean that it usually comes, uh, you know, right when the child is born, and sometimes it is being diagnosed and noticed a couple of years later, uh, depending on the symptoms. And uh, the major symptoms of the disorder is uh, impairment in three major areas of the child development. The first one is communication. Um, Many kids um, that have autism are not able to communicate at at all or very poorly. Uh, sometimes it's just you know anything from grunts, uh, not able to acquire new words and and increase their vocabulary. And sometimes they are able to communicate uh, more than just that. Nonetheless, it's very ineffective communication. The other aspect is the social uh, relationships building. Um, many times it's not there. There is a lot of apathetic behavior. Uh, starts from a very young age when the parent might notice that um, you know when he when he or she are trying to coo the child and play with him and get a smile out of him is not really successful, and all the way to teenagers with autism who are not able to create um, good relationships or any relationship with their peers. And the third one is stereotypical behavior, such as uh, rocking in a chair repeatedly or uh, flailing their arms, or even uh, we sometimes see kids that like to look sideways um, and kind of um, enjoy for some reason their peripheral vision. So like you said, there was a lot of uh, miscommunication, and that's exactly what I was trying to do after almost a decade in this field where I was blessed and privileged to be able to transform children's behavior and bring more peace and harmony to the families by creating a simple model, clean of all the uh, confusing and intimidating professional lingo that our my colleagues sometimes might um, uh, use to create more clarity and, and help the parents.
1: And this book is very, very clear and what I've said before when I come across a book that is short, simple and to the point, it's extremely effective. This is a very small book of just about 95, 96 pages and you, you uh, write in terms that everyone can understand and it flows from item to item right in the beginning of the book. You say that with autism, there's no room for rigidity, that the process is dynamic. And I thought that explained pretty much the whole, it encapsulates what your your mission is. So why is it, Haim, that a behavior modification um, works while scolding, coaxing, imploring, bribing does not? And that's what so many parents especially rely on. They think that they have to to punish the child as opposed to acknowledge them, and you're changing that perception.
6: Yeah, thank you. Um, in the last couple of decades, there have been incredible breakthroughs um, with the science of behavior modification. It all started in 1959 when a gentleman named B.F. Skinner uh, put together a behavioral model to change behaviors with children or individuals, whether they have proper language and are able to communicate effectively or not. Um, and fast forward and now the, uh, my field of behavior modification that I'm so um, excited to be a part of uh, has um, promote, has been progressed immensely nonetheless uh, individuals like me professionals like me who are getting trained by the best of the best you know, PhDs in the field and all kinds of scholars are sometimes struggling with conveying what are the right tools and while there are so many of them which one will apply for that specific child, and um, and also and I have to say, even though my book um, was addressing specifically kids with special needs, kids with autism, actually the tools described in the books I found them be to be extremely effective for any uh, child whether has special needs or not, uh, especially if they have discipline uh, issues or are non-compliant and all kind of other disruptive behaviors such as tantrum and aggression. So um, I hope that answers your question. Well,
1: and the reason, and the reason is, is that uh, what you write in your book, Autism, Don't Try to Make Sense, Make a Difference, is that acting out is an attempt for the child to communicate with someone else. So by punishing or scolding or or uh, we're reinforcing negative behavior because all they're trying to do is get some kind of attention, and we don't have to have autism just to want attention, right?
6: Exactly, and I have to say something that I found to see very, very evident. When I go into a home and uh, start working with the family, with with parents, obviously most of the time, and all the time I should say, the parents are obviously extremely loving, want to have the best life for their child and for the family. Sometimes there are other siblings involved, so the family life is very hectic. And they're really trying to do the best. Unfortunately, there's a lot of time, uh, emotional baggage, I call it, attached to it. When you have a 5-year-old, 6-year-old, 10-year-old that you have been struggling with for a few years now, uh, it's very, very hard to be detached of emotion and uh, to do all the right things. Uh, So then, you know, parent gets frustrated and angry and upset and yelling comes in the way and and with some parent uh, spanking, which we don't recommend. Uh, And what I saw is simply those those approaches simply don't work. And when I look at the interaction between the parents and the kids, well, while the goal is to obviously improve the child's behavior, I am not so much going into the moral, ethical aspect of it. Um, and I'm assuming that the parents are loving and they're trying to do the best for the kid, but I am looking at what works, what's effective. And when I see certain pattern, patterns, such as the one that you mentioned, coaxing, coaxing scolding, yelling, uh, punishing, inappropriate punishment, I I do my best to replace those, to train the parents so that they use those who simply work, simply are effective.
1: And the ones that work, you talk about in your chapter called powerful reinforcement. And you say that there, the, there's tangible reinforcement. You can give them activities. You can give them praise, um, a token system, and edibles, you know, whether it's a cookie or chips or a drink or something although some parents don't want that but will you talk about the principles of reinforcement there because we we really need to make sure that the reward is appropriate for the child's behavior and you outline very specific indicators for that
6: absolutely and and uh, the backbone of uh, the behavior modification signs the backbone of my approach is uh, positive reinforcement I call that motivation rather than intimidation a lot of parents fall in the trap of you know the kid should follow my direction the kid should follow my instruction I am the parent and I run the show while I agree that it's true the parent is the one running the show and should run the show uh, intimidation usually is just ineffective you might get incidental results with that specific incident but then again, it will appear again and again, and you will have to deal with it again. And there are so many ways to reinforce uh, children. And, um, and I, have also to, I have to say also that uh, something about that. Um, my approach, um, unlike sporadic or a bunch of great tools, is really a set of three clear steps. Three clear steps. The reinforcement, as you mentioned, is one of them. And if the parent follows those three steps consistently, and the key word is consistency, uh, they will definitely, and I uh, I dare to say 100% of the time, will achieve magnificent results if they follow that system. And I I do meet many, many times very good-willing parents, very loving parents, who are trying all kinds of an effective tools that they might have encountered in some presentation or a workshop, but again, as I say, the key word is lack of consistency.
1: And that's the key is that I'm sure that parents get very frustrated and, you know, and sometimes it's just easier. You give examples in your book of uh, how a parent might be on the phone and they'll just appease their child by giving them a cookie, which reinforces the negative behavior. So we really do have to get to that, uh, that your behavior shift trio that you talk about. We are speaking with author Hayim Or. He's an autism consultant and a behavior specialist. His book is Autism, Don't Try to Make Sense, Make a Difference. And he really does believe that we have the power to improve our child's behavior and we can build their skills. Hayim can we talk about toilet training, especially with children with autism? Because that, uh, or even the bed training of, you know, wanting to be in bed with mom and dad. Those seem to be two huge issues. You address it in your book, but that seems to be a, a, a challenge area for many families. What are some of the best advice or the best techniques that you believe in?
6: Thank you so much for that question. Uh, and I have seen many experienced colleagues. Um, that knew so much about what we do and how to help families, and yet when it comes to potty training, um, they were struggling with it. There is something about the fact that uh, when a kid needs to eliminate, needs to void, how do you actually deal with that? It's an, in- it's an internal sensation that we, the professionals or the parents, can't really see or foresee sometimes. So um, and the other aspect that you mentioned is the bed, um, the bedtime routine, and that's something that is very rarely, for some reason, by colleagues of mine from the field, is not even discussed. And I'm going to approach it for a second, but I want to go back to potty training, to toilet training. Um, We we have to understand that being a child with autism, and my whole um, premise of the book is, while I'm very empathetic to the parents uh, and what do they, what they go through. You, we have to understand that being a child with special needs, being a child in general, but let alone a child with special needs, um, has a lot of anxiety attached to it. Imagine walking around, and if you don't mind me uh, using an analogy, a metaphor, walking around with a duct tape on your mouth. You are. I mean, that un- has
1: to be what it's like because so, because so many are socially inept and they feel that they have been silenced.
6: Exactly, and and you add to that the fact that I can't even tell my parents, hey, I'm about to, I need to use the bathroom, or um, God forbid, I just wet myself, um, and then you sit in that, you know, wetness or whatever discomfort uh, experience. It, it's very, very anxious to be in that position. Now, what I have found, and again, that's um, is pretty much sprinkled um, all all through the book, is that sometimes very simple approach. And again, going back to our keyword, consistency, uh, are extremely effective. For example, with potty training, there are books and books on that topic alone.
2: Uh, and
6: while, as, I, as, a, as we can well, well read in those books, you can find amazing techniques there, it's actually very, very simple if applied properly. All it is really is pu- coming, uh, uh, putting together a schedule. Such as, or a frequency I should say, such as every 20 minutes to get uh, to start with, every 15 minutes, every 30 or 45 minutes, that we assume that the child might want to go to the bathroom, might want to use the bathroom. Uh, initially what we're going to do is put that child on a schedule, let's say every 30 minutes, and then uh, we will uh, walk them to the bathroom whether they express desire to use the bathroom or not, um, have them sit there for a couple of minutes, and um, simply for sitting there and not running away and not um, uh, having all kind of disruptive behaviors, reinforce them for the mere uh, uh, presence in the bathroom. As we go along, we will build it up to, and of course what we are trying to do, we are trying to, um, uh, to have the opportunity to reinforce, and I want to say heavily, if they happen to, even if it's by accident, eliminate using the, the, the potty or using the toilet once they have that once they happen to because we took the the time to go there every 30 minutes so we have plenty of opportunities uh, throughout the day if we got lucky once we got lucky and they actually use the bathroom i do what i like to call the circus factor meaning you just go crazy on reinforcing them and praising them and maybe it's a uh, Maybe, Like you said, some people don't like the edible uh, reinforcers, but maybe it's an edible, maybe it's a toy from the surprise jar, as we like to call it, and simply show the child, wow, this is pretty cool. All I have and to this, do, I guess I have some... these
1: techniques that you're talking about, they're good for everything. It's all about positive reinforcement, and unfortunately, exactly. Haim, we're running towards the end of the hour, and I want to give out your website, which is www.haimor.com, and that's spelled H A I. R M O R E dot and, and I really want to say, it,
6: if you don't mind me correcting the spelling, it's H A I M as in Mary, and then O R E my last. Did
1: word. I say it wrong? I am so sorry. H A. I-M-O-R-E. I O R E. I'm a, I apologize if I said it incorrectly, but this is a fantastic guide and it really does unlock uh these the you know these the breakthroughs for children and it's all about positive reinforcement, making a difference and knowing that you can. The name of the book is Autism Don't Try to Make Sense, Make a Difference, Haim or com, H A I M O R E. Thank you so much for your knowledge and for caring and sharing and for this incredible work that you do with children and their parents every single day. We need more people in the world that love and care as much as you and really are trying to make sense of it with making a difference. Thank you, you, Hyene, for joining me. Thank you for
6: the positivity you bring to this world.
1: Thank you very much. This was a, this was a great, great show and a great segment. Autism, don't try to make sense, make a difference. Haim Orr was our guest. Pick up a copy of the book. My name is Cynthia Bryan. You've been listening to Star Style, Be the Star You Are. I want to thank you for being great listeners. Visit be you dot org and go out into the world, make a difference, shine, be the star you are, and we'll be together next week. And until then, Thank you. God bless. I'm
4: Cynthia Bryan. Thank you for tuning in every week for the Power Hour on Star Style, Be the Star You Are. Our goal is to inspire, inform, entertain, and motivate you to reach for the stars and shine brightly. For further information, visit www.starstyleradio.com. You're invited to our power party next week and every week right here on the World Talk Radio Variety Channel with the dynamic duo, the Oprah of the airwaves, Cynthia Bryan, our health hero, Heather Brittany, and the pioneers on the planet. We'll pour more champagne for the spirit with positive, uplifting, life-changing radio. Until we play again, be the star you are.